Okay, guys, welcome back to Slasher Street Podcast, and I am delighted to be joined by yet another special guest. Uh, he is the director of the upcoming uh, Queer Jalo short, Bath Bomb, which is making the waves online at the moment with the Indiegogo campaign, which as of this minute is still live. But once we drop this, it's probably only going to be live for another day or so. Uh, so make sure you support that Bath Bomb on Indiegogo. And that is, of course, Mr. Colin G. Cooper. Colin, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. Uh, thanks for having me on. Awesome. I am... Uh, I, obviously, it's not, but your middle name is perfect for the genre <laughs> that you are going to be making films in. Colin Jalo Cooper. That's not what yeah. it, but that and would be... the uh, first person to, to, suggest, to suggest that. Yeah, yeah. Just as soon as I saw the G, I was like, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> So obviously we're here to talk Bath Bomb, we're here to talk all of that great stuff, which we will absolutely, absolutely get into. Uh, but before we do, icebreaker question uh, that we ask everyone on the show. Basically, how did you fall in love with horror? Kind of what is your you know, earliest horror memory? Well, uh, interestingly, it coincides with your, your show, the, t- the title of your show. Uh, when I was... I don't remember if I was four or five, but I had a babysitter who was um, not the bravest of souls. And my parents had um, Beetlejuice on VHS, not like purchased. It had been recorded from television. Oh, okay. And I was watching that and he, this babysitter, was afraid of that movie. So he went upstairs and left me downstairs watching it alone and he fell asleep and at after beetlejuice my parents had recorded the original nightmare on elm street after, <laughs> after beetlejuice and um so i ended up watching i just continued watching because i was a little kid and figured okay and and you know i ended up watching that at at four or five years old which is too young to be watching that movie and I ended up having uh, sleep paralysis. Oh my god! Episodes from that age until I was twelve, um, where Freddy was—you know—some people during sleep paralysis episodes see a figure, and ah. I would see him. And it's just the moment when he's like, you know, waving with his—he would be standing like kind of not just at the end of my bed, but at the wall that was opposite the end of my bed. Yeah. Uh, doing that and then sometimes he would kind of like walk up to the bed and i'd snap out of it before he actually did anything and then after age after age 12 they i still had uh, sleep paralysis episodes much much less frequently but um they still happened and but he was no longer in them oh my god now did you watch any of the sequels before you were 12 or did that just completely shut you off because i think if you watched some of the sequels maybe that would have made it a more light-hearted yeah so no i didn't i didn't watch any it was so bad that we used to have this um video rental store where i grew up called bandito video video and you know when things were being promoted sometimes they had like the life-size cardboard cutouts of yeah of uh different 
you know, action stars or whoever. There was one time that we were trying to go in, my brother and I, and probably one or both of my parents, and there was a Freddy sequel coming out, and there was a Freddy cutout, and I saw it before we entered the store, just through the window, and I wouldn't even go in the store. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <It's just> oh. <laughs> but, it, it, uh, it, does, it does fuck you up. Like, I remember watching it when I was nine, I think, nine or ten, and, yeah, like, I... It, it got me that the first scene where he jumps up uh you know from in the boiler room that i was it yeah just, yeah i think i think it's out of any slasher movie uh of the franchises the big ones i think that is the worst one a kid could watch because of the killing you in your dreams thing and yeah. even though the cast is older he's still a child killer yes so. Yeah, wasn't great. It totally, it is. It totally is like just oh, like and I think that really was probably the first one. I think I maybe saw the Exorcist before that, but yeah, it was definitely either the first or the second horror film that I ever watched was, and I, I think it was the first. I, I've kind of put it on record on the podcast that it was the first. It was probably a one or the other, but yeah, it was completely messed me up and uh, sleep paralysis. I mean, I actually get sleep. I've never used to get sleep paralysis when I was little, but I get it now, and yeah. I hate. Oh, it's the worst. As soon as you get that, it's just. It's the worst. I once, in fact, a couple. Of, was it a month ago? Um, my wife was in bed and she got up to come out, get, kind of get up with our little girl. And um, I felt someone get back into the bed with me and kind of like whisper stuff to me, like really sinister stuff. And I just couldn't move. I was just frozen. And my wife wasn't in the room, and it was the most like it just completely got me i was just didn't yeah. get any sleep that night sleep paralysis is oh it's not a, it's not a thing to mess with do you still get that now or is it just uh i've i very occasionally i haven't had an episode in an i think um the last episode that i had was uh in like a real episode sometimes mm-hmm. i get like it'll happen for a little bit like very mm-hmm. brief episodes but the last time i had a real episode was in in 2018 and i was actually out in the middle of a pretty secluded lake on a on a boat with friends uh and that was a bad environment to have it in because yeah. it's i think part, that was part of what what made, no, no no i know what made me have it again actually it was mike flanagan and it's because um the haunting of hill house with a character that has sleep paralysis mm-hmm. not that you know that's bad that he did that or anything, but it was a very accurate portrayal of sleep paralysis in my yeah. opinion. And it just made me think of it a lot. Again, I hadn't thought of it in, in a while. And that, and that I had, uh, I had a, a few episodes of it after having watched that, that series, but I really love that portrayal of sleep paralysis and yeah. that it's out there. And a lot of people started talking about sleep paralysis more when that came out. Um, Absolutely. Which is good. That is a heartbreaking series as well. Like it's terrifying throughout, but then when you get to the end, it's just heartbreaking. And then when you rewatch it, like we rewatched it straight away, and you see it in a totally different light. It's I think the Hill House one. Not as I, I love the Bly Manor one, but the Hill House one, I just think is an absolute masterpiece. It's just yeah. phenomenal. I, I think I do think that um Midnight Mass is his his best. Yeah, Midnight Mass, that was awesome as well. And what he did with the uh, Doctor Sleep, like the Flannyverse is just like, I really liked uh, midnight club and was re- pretty pissed that it didn't get continued i still haven't seen the midnight club it's on my list of things to check out and i think the fact that it got cancelled actually kind of maybe put me off it a little bit but it shouldn't have done but um but yeah, yeah everyone I, said it was really good 
I'd be curious to hear the story behind the cancellation. I mean, I, I guess I believe that it wasn't watched by as many people, but it just seems unlikely because it was, mm. it was, ex- it was excellent. And, and I would have thought that it would have pulled in younger people as well because of the age of the cast, but yeah, maybe, maybe not, the case. not to go uh, too off topic, but I think I heard that he had signed some sort of contract with Amazon prime and he was going to do a movie for prime and then Netflix kind of, threw the toys out the pram and just cancelled all of his stuff. Because up until that point, the majority of his stuff was all Netflix stuff. Right. How true that is, I, I don't know. Any any story that involves corporate entities acting like children, I believe. So. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So anyway, let's get uh, back on to talking about, back on to talking about yourself. So um, I was actually going to ask as well, do you have any like personal favorite horror films out there or anything uh, that really sticks out to you? I have a hard time choosing favorites. Um, Original Nightmare on Elm Street is still is a favorite. I didn't watch it again until I was 27, but um, I, I love that movie now. Um, t- technically not a horror. I don't know. Depends on who you are and what you consider horror. It's certainly horrific is uh, Lost Highway. And um, that is actually the film that made me want to be a filmmaker. And still one of my favorite films, still my favorite um, Lynch film. And then anything beyond that is kind of, I just go year by year. Yeah. <laughs> also, I can't believe so. That that really messed you up. That Nightmare on Elm Street watch when you were little really messed you up. 27. Yeah. Well, I did watch, I watched the rest of the, I watched all of the sequels oh, okay. in my teens and, and, and 20s. And, but still was not re- comfortable returning to the original. Uh, but then, <laughs> I, then I watched it at 27. Yeah, it did. Oh, it's still when I watched it again, I was uh, because especially after watching the sequels, which you know, a lot of them are not great. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, watch and I watched like the series stuff too, where it was just ridiculous. They were just trying to turn him into a comedian, and um, the the original is really good. Like it's not just the best of that. That's a really that's a good movie by yeah. by any standard, and. Um, very original and 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 intelligent not just not just original uh yeah and yeah that the opening sequence of that film is is still some of the most terrifying shit in in cinema <laughs> i agree i agree and the scene where uh, amanda uh vice's character gets uh dragged down the school hallway that's still... oh my god i've so i've i've pitched the concept of uh, I don't care if someone steals this now because it's been so long, but I want to do a, a music video and I've pitched this to artists before and nobody's ever taken it of, um, I think it would be best with hip hop where the, the person who's, who's rapping is you're like close on their face while they're rapping, but they have the plastic bag over them. And then you, you pull out and they're being dragged down a school hallway by, by nothing. Oh, leaving yeah. the trail of blood <laughs> and that's their <laughs> performance right i think that would be awesome that would be that, that would fit perfectly with uh well i suppose like like you say rap but also metal or anything like that that would work yeah i just think with rap you can metal would be too high energy which kind of betrays the creepiness of it rap rap would be nice especially yeah. if it's that's there you know one of various artists somebody like a tyler the creator for instance would be uh i think i pitched it to like Flappish zombies or somebody like that um but yeah because there are like horror rap groups as well that that would yeah nicely 
because that actually um, that's actually segueing nicely into the next part. So but the next question I had really was, how did you kind of get into filmmaking? Because mm. you are, you know, very well known for you know directing music videos and and all that great stuff. You've done some uh, with uh, with rap, with with metal, and a, a, like a good variety of uh, different kind of things on the CV there. So how did you get into it all, basically? Um, so I I went to film school in uh, in Vancouver um, and then I wanted to direct and edit and by the time that I had left film school the, the sorry I'm getting notifications I don't know if you're oh, cool. <laughs> um, da, da, da. I'm just gonna tell him to stop yeah <laughs> that's all good <laughs> sorry um yeah, so uh, by the time I finished film school, the path for editing kind of an opening presented itself. So that's what I jumped into because, you know, the opportunity was there. And I was an assistant editor for several years and then I started editing. I, I started in like the made for TV movie world. And um, it, much later moved to Toronto in 2011. And I was still working in television at the time. Um, I had I had switched over to what they call unscripted, you know, like reality television, lifestyle television, and was doing like Food Network stuff, which I actually really loved doing. And then a friend of mine was a manager for for a local hip hop artist here in Toronto called Tasha the Amazon, and he needed a music video for her for her first solo music video. She had been part of a pop group before, and that was going off to do solo hip-hop stuff mm -hmm. so i did that and then her and i became close and i was making all of her videos and a several years later in 2016 we had the opportunity to make one of her videos for like some real money like have, have a real budget behind it and in canada we have um you know much music is like our mtv and oh, we okay. have the much music video awards mmbas which are like our um, MTV VMAs and the, this first video that that we uh, had the first time that we had a, a, a good sized budget we were nominated for an MMBA and then won the MMBA for best hip hop video that year and it's a pretty big thing it's like it was that year it was hosted by Alessia Carr and one of the Jonas Brothers and you know like Lord is performing and Iggy Azalea and um, so it's a, a pretty big thing and so because of that then you know agencies know who you are and approach you and so then i signed with an uh an agency here in toronto and that's how i worked for you know bigger artists like um jesse reyes and silverstein and under oath which are the metal you were referencing yeah uh, and a bunch of bunch of other folks but um i i continued doing tv uh, at the same time because um, obviously music video work is intermittent. It's not like a full-time job. And um, I've, I've kind of slowed down on the music video stuff. Um, not to go, to, I don't want to go down a tangent in, in that, but it's uh, it's just the music industry is a, it's a difficult landscape to navigate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I am a promoter here in Carlisle. I put gigs on here and uh, yeah, like uh, without even, it, it is, it's such a, at the moment, a difficult, difficult business to be in, but uh, 
it is a fun business to be in as well. So, you know, yeah. I'm not I mean, I love, that. I love the experience, you know, especially artists who are really into the concept as well and want to work with you on making the concept instead of just mm -hmm. listening to a bunch of pitches and going that one. I like, I like it when the, the artist is involved, it, it's really rewarding in the end. And unlike working in television, you're not, I mean, it changes from, from situation to situation, but there's never a situation in TV where you're just left alone in yet from, in my experience, just left alone to do whatever you want. And then they mm -hmm. will put out whatever you did. And I, I really don't think that happens. I mean, it, it probably used to happen. Maybe the nineties was the last time it happened. I don't think that's happening. Even if you're, you know, like we were talking about Mike Flanagan, I'm sure yeah. there are still people giving Mike Flanagan notes. Yeah. <laughs> But if, if you know, if in, I've worked in situations in music videos where there is no one giving notes, the, the person's, the label and the management for the artist trust them enough and are letting them steer the ship enough that it's just you and the artist and what you make together, that's what gets released. And that's incredibly rewarding. That's kind of like the best you can ask for creatively. And I'm, I don't know where it exists outside of music videos, which is why I will still, I'm still interested in doing them. I just don't mm -hmm. do them as much because I've gotten burned out on the uh, the number of situations where it's not that case and you have like in the last cut you have notes coming from somebody you know email address you haven't seen and you ask the man who is this person it's like somebody who works in like artist relations at the label just wanted to have their moment you know they wanted to give their little two cents and it's like well why are we paying it to and you actually want me to pay attention to this it's uh very frustrating yeah, yeah, because um, so you do quite a lot in music as well, still. Because you, I read or heard uh, that you also are on the team, or whether you are kind of the man behind the Psycho Music Festival in Psycho um, Las Vegas. Psycho yeah. Las Vegas, yeah. Definitely I, not the man behind, but <laughs> yeah, I work. I've worked with Psycho um, since. 2016 um mm -hmm. ronnie exley who is also executive producer of bath bomb he is one of the man like the oh, okay. the mysterious there's essentially four mysterious dudes behind the curtain that run that and he's one of the four and um well really two who are like the the actual day-to-day -day putting things together dudes and he is one of those two um but yeah i've been working with them for a while and and some of the stuff that i've done um that's kind of easing out of music videos. I had an opportunity to do some music content that was through them. So I wasn't really working with labels. I was working with them, which was, uh, was a digital series, um, a documentary series on Motorhead, which is like different bands doing like paying tribute to Motorhead, talking about how Motorhead influenced their career and then um, ending the episode with a performance of, of a cover of a Motorhead song. And it was a pretty varied group of people. Mm -hmm. um, and for um, uh, Ace, are you familiar with Motorhead? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. For, for Ace of Spades, we did like a, instead of just having one band, it was like a supergroup type situation. So we had like Phil Anselmo doing uh, the vocals, uh, Gary Holt from Exodus, and also Slayer um, playing lead guitar, and um, Nick Oliveri played bass and also did vocals on a, on, on one of the um, on one verse on the second verse. Um, who else was in that? About just a bunch of great folks. Yeah, that's awesome. That is awesome. That, that, that big hitters, big hitters in the metal world. So is metal kind of your your bag more than kind of 
hip hop or anything like that? Or is that just kind of, are you a mixture of everything kind of guy? Or I would say metal and metal adjacent, okay. which, which includes some hip hop, you know, uh, just the, you know, the genres are trickier now. So that's why I say metal adjacent. And um, I mean, even at, at Psycho, you know, we have a pretty varied like we serve kind of more niche genres in general, but mm-hmm. it's 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 predominantly metal. But there's a lot of stuff that is not technically metal, but metal people are definitely into. Um, yeah. And that's that's kind of where I sit as well. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm the same. Like anything kind of metal, uh, pop, pop punk, (laughs) pop punk is just kind of my total bag. I know, like, that's totally not metal or anything like that, but like, (laughs) pop punk is like, is totally my bag. Uh, you know, Slam Dunk Festival over here and everything. That's kind of my, but, uh, you know, I'm also a thrash guy as well. I've got a, I've got, uh, have you ever heard of Gamma Bomb? No, I have not. They're a, Big Irish thrash metal band. I've got them playing Carlisle later this year, so okay, cool. very excited about that one. And uh, um, kind of, uh, I've got a, who else have I got playing? Carl? I've got a band called Fenomer, who are a French uh, melodic death metal band. So that's kind of like nice. uh, quite a, a mixture of people. I try and bring it to Carlisle. It's uh, <laughs> to uh, varied success. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not. A, I'm not a melodic death metal fan. I'm a death metal fan, not a melodic death metal fan. I'm. Uh... I don't listen to a ton of thrash. I have some like thrash loves that that I listen to, and they're, they're not even that <laughs> popular. But do you know Midnight? Ah, uh, no, no, not heard of them. They're like they're like a Cleveland thrash and speed metal uh, group that um, they wear like executioners masks when they. Oh, okay. <laughs> they're they're just a fucking blast. <laughs> they're they're hilarious. I actually went to a sh- one of my favorite recent shows just because it was so small and awesome is um i think it's called audio in glasgow it's oh like, yeah yeah, I've been been there. yeah they played audio and you know that i don't know what that room fits like 60 people like, it's it's think. a small venue yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's there's no way and so and because there's not a barricade or anything and the sp- space is just like you know stage bar yeah. bathroom <laughs> exit so the whole thing just turned into a, a mosh pit it was like there was if you didn't want to mosh, you needed to leave. There was no <laughs> way you could get anywhere else. And uh, you know they wear their like masks, and they really don't like to show who they are because they're in other bands and it's like a secret. And this girl like stayed or surfed to the front and like reached up to the lead singer's mask, and he like palmed her head like it was a basketball and just like shoved her. <laughs> <laughs> And it looked, you know, it looked like, oh, that probably hurt. But after the show, outside when everyone's smoking, she was just like telling anybody who would listen about about it. she was so excited that she got like sh- shot to the floor by the least. Yeah, <laughs> like they, they walked out, like crawled over people off stage and like standing on the bar and playing. It's just they're very rowdy in general, but usually play larger spaces. Mm-hmm. So it's very cool to see them in like a unnecessarily small space. Yeah. That's awesome. So were you just here on a holiday or were you here for music or was there a Yeah, I was only like an hour up the road from me. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh shit. I should have came visit it. I yeah. uh, <laughs> I I was there for a mix of of work and, and pleasure and uh in in Glasgow I decided to to see several shows. Um this isn't metal but you know you know Peaches? Yes, I have them. Yeah. Yeah, so she, been, yeah. she was she was playing as well, and I went to that show, and that was one of the best shows, not just that I saw that year, but that I've ever gone to. 
Oh, she, I don't know if you've heard of this, her new tour. It was, it's like the, I forget how many year anniversary of um, her first album, Teaches of Peaches, which is, has the song Fuck the Pain Away, which is still probably her most famous song. But she, the, 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 the show itself, the stage production was amazing. She had a giant, you know how like the flaming lips, the Wayne does like the big, like hamster ball that rolls out over the audience and he's inside it, the inflatable ball. Oh yes. Yeah. 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 So she did a giant inflatable dick that extended <laughs> out over the audience. And then she, she walks in it. Like it's see-through. She walks through the shaft of the penis while singing and then gets to the end of it. And there's a hole in the end and she shoots fake jizz out <laughs> the end of the, the cock on the crowd. It was just, it was, it was amazing. That is awesome. That is awesome. That, that's uh, the the closest I've seen. That is Ramstein. Where Ram, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. do a similar thing. They do a similar thing. Now, funny. I we're kind of going off topic here, but oh, I great. had a, a about five or six years ago. I had a. I, I was the main booker of a really small uh, rock club in Carlisle, and I booked a Ramstein tribute band, and uh, obviously, where Ramstein would normally have the giant kind of cock that would shoot out the 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 foam and everyone would get going this guy had uh kind of like um you know like a, a mini car cleaner that he'd <laughs> shoved like this this kind of it was it was probably about this big is it was like this this right. miniature kind of cock and balls and then it just kind of soaked everyone with the uh <laughs> with, the, with the foam it was just absolutely fucking hilarious like in the, just like right. what is going on what is going on this is the perfect Ramstein trivia <laughs> It fits for being a cover band. It's like you don't exactly. want to do it on the same scale as the real band. You got to do the cover band size version. <laughs> exactly, and that's kind of what he said. He goes, "You know, we are a tenth of the price of Rammstein, and you get a tenth of the show." <laughs> so, just brilliant, brilliant stuff. Uh, excellent. So, anyway, we'll we'll we've got kind of twenty five minutes there, uh, so we will absolutely get into Bath Bomb. So let let's let's talk about Bath Bomb now. Sure. I've wrote a bit, well, just kind of copied the synopsis uh, from the Indiegogo campaign. So before we get into it, uh, the Indiegogo campaign, that is live. It's closing tomorrow night, which is Friday night, um, 3 a.m. your time. Eastern so, time, yep. Uh, yes, 3 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, so people watching, listening to this, you haven't got long to back it, unless, of course, it reaches its goal tomorrow. Um which is hopeful. Hopefully, we'll still get there. So, yeah. but if you read, if you're watching this straight away, you're we're at, definitely we're at eighty-eight percent right now. So we're doing. Oh shit! So that's really close. We're with, doing, yeah, like, a day to go. That's awesome. So, yeah. so you have time. Well, not much time, but you have yeah. time to go and back it. So, um, so yeah. In terms of what it said on the Indiegogo campaign, I, I absolutely love this uh, little synopsis that is on here as well. So, it's Bath Bomb is a proposed short film written by Michael Clifton and directed by. Yourself, Colin G. Cooper, with the intention of establishing a queer approach to the cinematic sub genre known as Jalo. Um, it's about Jordan and Grant. Jordan is a sullen doctor with a refined manner. Grant is his beefy himbo boyfriend, and Jordan prepares an obstent. I can't even read what an ostensibly romantic bath for Grant, but it takes a disturbing turn after Jordan reveals that he knows Grant has cheated on him. There's delicious violence, sexy man flesh, and a ju uh, judicious amount of campy humor. 
So I'm really excited about this. Now, I read before I read an uh, read, listened to an interview that I think you did a couple of weeks ago now, where this is a it's a five minute short. Is that correct? Correct. That is a lot to fit into five minutes. That is a lot to fit into five minutes. Like just that synopsis, I'm like, that's going to be like 15, 20 minutes. Like that's yeah. gonna... <laughs> because that's um, the, the best way. I mean, I don't know if I always agree with this, but the 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 shortest way to tell a story is the best way. And I, with a short, I just feel like you gotta um, get in, say what you want to say, and get out. And uh, and I also think shorts that have a bit of like a punchline quality to them tend to mm -hmm. be the most effective. And we're also this. The intention of the short is to, you know, it's this is like the beginning of like a universe of giallo that we're trying to birth mm -hmm. so it's we're really just like we just want this to be this could be a scene taken from any of these other giallo that we're we're gonna make yeah so, so we didn't want to waste time that didn't need to to be there this is just a scene the conflict happens all within one scene you're done Awesome. Very, very exciting stuff. And from that, as soon as uh, I think you emailed me and I checked it all out, I was like, man, that sounds absolutely awesome. So um, now before we get into it in detail, um, we kind of touched on it before we recorded the podcast. And I'm just going to put my hands up here right now. And uh, as sacrilegious as this is, um, I'm not much of a jalo kind of uh, expert by any means. I, in fact, as far as I'm aware, I'm I think I've seen like maybe two or three uh, Giallo movies and even a couple of them. I'm unsure if they even are Giallo films. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> like, uh, you know, you're going to have to walk me through this um, a little bit. So just for the purpose of the listeners and I suppose for, for myself as well, uh, what is a, a Giallo film as a genre? Uh, and also what is a kind of a queer Giallo film? So what would be the, the difference between the two? Right. Uh, because it's quite a, it's as far as I'm aware, this is a kind of a, a fresh ground that we are looking at, or maybe not so much, but They're pretty I'll close. Take the... fresh. I'll let you know. So, so Giallo is is it's funny to even do this because the uh, there are amongst the community of people who know Giallo, which is a pretty big community and tends to include a lot of filmmakers because it was it was influential on a lot of prominent filmmakers. Um, there's a lot of debate over specific films, whether or not they qualify as Giallo. And it's mostly because Giallo is, it's, it's like a three part thing. There's varying degrees of, um, I'm going to cough. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Uh, it's, there's varying degrees of horror, murder, mystery, and erotic thriller. So some of them lean almost completely into one of those pockets, but they include all of them. And even if it's just like little hints of the other, other mm -hmm. ones. And it, it was developed in, in Italy in the late sixties became mainstream popular in Italy in 1971 because of Argento's um, bird with a crystal plumage. And that started like the golden era of Giallo, which pretty much ended by the mid seventies. There were still some Giallo films being made after that, but they weren't of the same quality, except for a, a handful that were made by 
like the heavy hitters, which mm-hmm. would be Argento and, and really post-1975, like Fulci was the only other heavy hitter who is still making them. A, a lot of folks say that the, the true like death of Giallo was, um, I think, 1982, which was the same year Argento made Tenebrae mm-hmm. and um, Fulci made um, uh, The New York Ripper. And those were the last two like great Giallo films that were made. Although saying that the New York Ripper is great is a stretch. <laughs> Tenebrae <laughs> is great. Tenebrae is a great film. Um, and they, after Argento, they they leaned more into the body count um, aspect of 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 the narrative, mm-hmm. and that became that's what started influencing uh american cinema and americans kind of took giallo and turned it into uh slasher but removed a lot of the um a lot of other elements of it um so i I guess maybe listing some titles also helps too have you do you know deep red are you familiar with that? I'm in terms of the titles that I've seen. I've seen Suspiria. Okay, so so yeah, that's all right. So Suspiria is technically not Giallo, <laughs> so, <laughs> but th- as I say that, there are people who would be like, "It's totally Giallo." So uh-huh. there's there's a d- because there are narrative elements that make something a Giallo, but Giallo also had a pretty specific visual language. Those things are hard to separate, and that's where arguments happen. Suspiria mm-hmm. has the visual language of a giallo, but it's not narratively a giallo because there's not really a murder mystery. Mm-hmm. It's like kind of like you want to know who's doing the killings, but it's not like that's what you're trying to solve in the film. It and um, and it's also supernatural, which mm-hmm. is kind of when things shift into like a post giallo or. Oh, okay. Although f- there's a movie called Phenomena. I don't know if you're familiar. I've not seen that. No, no, no. Like Jennifer Connelly's first film is one of the things it's famous for. That one has some supernatural qualities too, because she can like c- communicate with insects through her mind, but um, it's still considered a giallo, even by the most stringent of critics. Mm-hmm. Um, what were, were, were others? So, well, a one that I don't think is a giallo, but it's a Fulci film is uh, zombie. Now, I would say that's not a giallo because it's obviously not a mystery, but it has some, as far as I can see, some stylistic things that maybe would kind of fall into a giallo. Yeah. The music being one, the uh, the eye kill, you know, that's something. Right. And the kind of, um, there's, there's things that happen in that film. It's um, erotic in some places, you know, as well in some right. scenes. So that is made by someone who is well known for giallo films, but not. Right. Technically, I would say I would say that might probably not fall as a giallo, but that is, no, that is definitely not a giallo. But um, you are right in that it has some of the uh, some of the um, stylistic elements. So when we're when you're talking about the erotic thriller elements of giallo, you know the movie Basic Instinct. Yeah, yeah. Basic Instinct is essentially an American movie that is what many like narratively 
what many of the um, erotic thriller giallo films were. were. <coughs> and so if a movie has erotic elements, that's not the same as being like an erotic thriller. You know what I mean? Where, mm-hmm. where, where mm-hmm. The eroticism is part of the plot. You know, the, the sexual relationships between two people is, is part of the plot or more than two people, a bunch of people. Um, yeah. But um, Suspiria is probably is 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 a better, closer example to gel. And like I said, some people w- would argue that is gel because it has the visual language. A lot of the things visually that Giallo set up was like using bold colored lighting, often contrasting bold colored lighting, um, and a lot of which people now use today. Um, that it, that was really kind of started by Mario Bava with this movie called uh, blood and black lace, which is mm-hmm. the first like color, full color giallo film um, using um, w- when you have the, the killer, if, if it's one that has a body count and there's a killer um, seeing from the killer's POV, that's a giallo thing. Um, black gloves, leather gloves that are seen in close-ups, That's a giallo thing. The blade, the blade it's off. A lot of times it was a, a you know, a straight razor, but it later evolved to knives or scalpers, like anything else shown in inserts as well. That's a jello thing. Seeing people being killed in inserts, you know, cut together inserts instead of like a, a wide shot of it. Oh, that's, okay. a, that's a jello thing. And all of these, obviously, as I'm saying, them are very obviously now slasher tropes, but they, those were all taken from, from Giallo. Yeah. Um, things like the killer is on the phone. That's Giallo. Um, talking to the killer on the phone and the killer reveals that he's watching you. He's obviously outside her house or that's giallo. Um, on the erotic thriller side of things, there is a lot of them were you have a heterosexual female protagonist um, who there's, there's a queer female antagonist that kind of lures her away from, or at least tempts her away from the, straight and narrow path of mm-hmm. being married or, or whatever she has going on in her life. Um, that's a, a giallo thing. A lot of times that also involved like um, technically not incest, but like step stepbrothers and stepsisters who were uh, sexually involved with each other. Um, <laughs> uh, so uh, giallo, when, when those, when the erotic thriller stream and the body count stream merged, you would have those elements in the same movie. So you would have this erotic uh, narrative going on, but also there were people being murdered by a black glove killer that you never saw. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. And the, Very cool. the, the outfit of the killer even was standard. It was a, a trent, black trench coat, fedora, black leather gloves. Sometimes they wore surgical gloves instead, which is what we're doing. But, um, and it, uh, you know the movie Malignant? Yes, yes, yeah. That was James James, James Wan said that was his version of Giallo. So there's a shot when they show in the attic and it shows the killer's outfit is like hanging there. Mm-hmm. It pans up and it's the it's the trench coat and you know the the leather gloves are actually almost taken directly from from Deep Red. You should see them. Deep Red's considered like the greatest Giallo. And um, as it pans up there's a fedora hanging there, even though you never see the character wearing a fedora. And that's just because it's a nod. To, he's like, see, it's 
Ah, okay. Ah, cool. Very cool. So there's a lot of things there to unpack in terms of a genre, which is bizarre. No, no, that's absolutely awesome. That is absolutely awesome. Like, because uh, you can see why I. Uh, get confused with what is and what is. I mean, I think Slasher Street, you know, you know what you're getting with a slasher, you know, it's just easy peasy. Yeah. Uh, so what is the, the not that there's a difference, but what is kind of, well, yeah, I suppose, what is the difference between a giallo from like the 60s, 70s, I suppose like a classic giallo and what you're creating with a, with a queer right. giallo? So you were saying before about um, new, new, uh, territory. Mm-hmm. So there, there is one. F- first of all, a queer giallo is just, you know, from a queer perspective, giallo films had a disproportionate amount of queer characters given the era that they were made versus anything, any other sh- genre or subgenre that was out there. Shit ton of queer characters, and they're always, they're often integral to the plot, but the representation of those characters was stereotyped and awful. So queer giallo is just like, hand that subgenre to queer people and let them tell if you're going to have all these queer characters that mm-hmm. are important to the plot why don't you let a queer person tell that story you know <coughs> it's it's almost like giallo was appropriated from queer people but ahead of time because queer people it's like predates you know it was already created as something that uh was voicing queer characters without any queer people giving input yeah and um there has been one in terms of like prominent a prominent film that anybody would have heard of uh called knife and heart uh that you know it was pretty popular vanessa parody stars in it it was um it was nominated for a couple few awards it can and that's a giallo that's all entirely queer it's like a queer story pretty much everybody in the film is queer um but that's just a, it's a throwback film, right? It's 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 a period piece. Um, that's not what we're looking to do. We're looking to do something modern that has the visual language of Giallo, carries the narrative tradition of Giallo, but is told from from a queer perspective and it's our queer stories. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That is awesome. So because a lot, I think I, I, on the uh, the Indiegogo campaign, I was reading that you know you that a lot of uh, Jalo films, especially back in the sixties, seventies, they like you've just said there, they have a lot of queer characters in there, but they are misrepresented, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as uh, as uh, as the the killers or as kind of comedy characters or uh, even worse in some respects and that kind of thing. So is this kind of you putting that right? You know, given this a a, a, a correct representation essentially of you know queer people in this genre in a way i guess i i try to tread carefully around that that type of <coughs> language like correcting mm. things um but it's more just motivated by by like what i was saying it, it there was so much queerness in this genre subgenre mm-hmm. um it just se- it just makes sense that you, queer people would would make it their own right yeah that's that's all it is i'm not i'm not really trying to be like oh i'm upset about this bad representation because i i love a lot of those movies i watch those. Like, even the super duper offensive ones like 
there's one that I think I mentioned in the, the pitch deck called Who Saw Her Die. It actually stars George Lazenby. Um, you know, one time James Bond, George Lazenby <laughs> in an Italian horror film. And yeah, that's where his career went. And <laughs> yeah, the the killer in it, I'm spoiling it, obviously, it's the killer is being revealed right now, is a cross-dressing, he's a queer character. He's a cross-dressing priest who murders children and is the central figure in a pedophile sex cult. And, mm. you know, when they kill him, they burn him to death and throw him out of a, a balcony out of a window. Oh my God. <laughs> it's just like, it's, to me, it's the, it's so offensive that it's hilarious. Uh-huh. So I, I, I don't watch something like that and like, oh, feel hurt by it. It's just hilarious. It's it's so laughable. I, I, I'm not trying to say that it's, that, that negative representations of any marginalized group are okay. And I understand obviously how, I'm, as a queer person myself, I understand how that can lead to real violence against against queer people, that repeated representations of that type are problematic. But I'm just saying my own motivations aren't coming from like, a, I'm mad about this genre. If they're just coming from a, this is such a queer genre. There's so much queer stuff going on. Like you've, it's Suspiria visually, like if somebody told you that the director of that film, if you didn't know who Dario Gento was, if somebody told you that the director of that film was flamboyantly gay you would have been yeah. like that makes so much sense right <laughs> it would seem obvious yeah so, so yeah that's my, where my motivation is coming from just like why are there not tons of queer people making these movies that makes no sense to me yeah that's awesome so i mean um so how did this journey start for you like so where did the idea of bath bomb kind of start and grow for you um yeah so i had um i've always wanted to do a queer giallo and um, after seeing Knife Plus Heart, that was kind of the first time that I was like, okay, this is, it seems like there's an audience for this, even if it ends up just being like a bit of a more highbrow European audience and maybe North mm-hmm. Americans aren't going to be that interested. That's still cool. It, gives, it, made, it was the first time I thought like, this is something we, I could actually do at some point. I wasn't actively pursuing it. And um, I was at a film festival in the States uh, called Film Quest. And they do this um, event called Filmmaker Speed Dating. And I met um, a writer during the Filmmaker Speed Dating named uh, Michael Clifton. And there, we didn't have like a... we During the very brief speed dating m- meeting, we didn't have like a project that we were like, let's do that. But we knew that we liked each other. We stayed in, in touch he sent me a, a number of projects that he had written that hadn't been produced yet. One of them was a one minute short called bath bomb that he had written specifically for a one minute screenplay competition. And it's final image was a very giallo image that I can't share without ruining our film. And uh, but <laughs> it didn't seem like the story had been given enough room to, to be its own story be- because he was writing it specifically for this one minute constraint. So we discussed expanding it and ended up expanding it to, to five minutes um, and f- fleshing out kind of the jello elements as well in that, during that expansion. And then I, um, you know, once we had a script, we liked, um, if you like a script a lot when you're finished with it, you're just, well, I need to make this right now. So that's, yeah, I started, I, I built a pitch deck that kind of explained 
the pitch deck is like an a lot more elaborated version of the the body text from our, our campaign page that mm -hmm. uh, just goes into more detail but with the same a lot of the same videos linked explaining giallo explaining violence in giallo explaining eroticism in giallo visual conventions for people who you know i'm trying to pitch it to who don't know what any of that is and started putting together a team first found some private money um found uh, uh pitched it to movie maker magazine and they became involved um in a financial and um advocacy capacity and then expanded from there pulled in a cinematographer and composer i don't know if you want me to mention yeah let's just like who's involved and all that kind of thing sure. yeah, awesome. so we have uh our cinematographer is um jeremy benning who is primarily known to the world or not primarily but most widely known to the world as uh from the expanse uh, if you've seen that that series oh yes yeah yeah, yeah so he, met, yeah he came on early on that show and created the look for it and then was the primary cinematographer for all six seasons which is rare in television you often have various different cinematographers throughout a, a series um he's also shot episodes of the boys um he did two episodes of guillermo del toro's cabinet of curiosities including wow. um uh anna lily emmerpore's episode which is my favorite episode of the series and he right now he's shooting um cross which is um a series based on uh, james patterson's alex cross novels which were like they were movies in the in the 90s like kiss mm -hmm. the girls and along came a spider Morgan, oh, yeah, Morgan yeah. Freeman playing the league. So that's a series now with Amazon. They're shooting it right now. So when he, that our schedule is based on him finishing that, and then we'll shoot this. And um, our composer is uh, composers, uh, Teresa Wayman, who's a founding member of um, Warpaint, which is um, a, a pretty popular indie rock band mm -hmm. um, from the States. Uh, and her, her brother, Ivan, who's a producer and engineer who's worked with uh, in addition to war paint has also worked with like uh, Adele and the killers and um, Beck and Weezer and Carly Rae Jepsen wow. and father John Misty and, and a bunch of folks. And um, you were mentioning before, like musically things that are giallo. So, you know, mm -hmm. a, lot of, a lot of giallo is like Ennio Morricone and Resort Alani and Stelvio cipriano and like jazz based lounge based mm -hmm, stuff mm -hmm. so even though that's not what they normally do musically that's what they're doing for this so they're going to make um a, a jazz and lounge based score uh, uh for for bath bomb and uh you can buy it on vinyl from our campaign oh okay that's both, awesome both in a normal standard edition and a limited edition signed by by Teresa and ivan that's a cool book. That is a really yeah. cool book. So, what um, whilst we're at, whilst you've kind of touched on it there, kind of what is what are some of the perks that people can get on the uh, the Indiegogo campaign? So we have kind of the standard Indiegogo. Um, oh, I'll mention because I think you know him, um, uh, Vincent Desanti. Yes. Yes. So he, yeah. well, he is. Our, he's our crowdfunding producer. Oh, okay, because I was going to ask as well. That was also a question I was going to ask was uh, how did you and Vincent kind of get in touch to get that arranged? Because Vincent is the king of Indiegogo campaigns. Like he, he is just... also he is also like the great connector in 
<laughs> independent horror you know yes he knows yeah, everybody and he's just such a nice guy yeah he's happy to bring people together so i met vince vinnie at uh mods pizzeria in provo utah that's <laughs> a random place to meet someone <laughs> it, was, it was during it was during a film festival and I didn't know who he was, and he was sitting there eating pizza, and I was eating pizza, and there's nowhere else in the place. And I knew he was at the festival, and I was at the festival, so we started talking. And we, you know, we liked each other, and he is also into metal. And um, he had some, he had a friend of his going to Psycho that year uh, for a bachelor party, and uh, and he was already going with them, and they already had their passes. But I, I told them, you know, I. I give them a hookup so at psycho that year i went down and introduced myself and then in kind of unnecessarily dramatic fashion i had scissors and i cut their wristbands off <laughs> and then gave them like vip wristbands you know to, oh like, excellent right there their experience um and uh yeah so we were friends um based on, on those interactions and when we wanted to do this and decided that we wanted to, you know, we already had, as I had mentioned, private money and some money from Movie Maker involved. We, we needed more. Um, so we decided to do a, a crowdfunding campaign and he was an obvious person to talk to about it. And uh, yeah, then he just came on board as a, as a crowdfunding producer. That's awesome. That is awesome. And uh, if there's a man that you want kind of, running an Indiegogo campaign, he is the man to do it. Like his yeah, Never Hike Alone 2 is like well over $250,000 now. It's just absolutely insane. So, yeah. And uh, from all intents and purposes, from what I could see, the Indiegogo campaign has been um, a huge success so far and we're at 88% as of now. Um, well, don't jinx it. <laughs> okay, we'll touch, touch wood. We'll touch wood. Yeah. Um, so... Oh, oh, I just refreshed. 92%. Oh my goodness. So... It's looking pretty good that that's going to hit. Stop with the jinxing. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> One thing I did want to ask, though, just about the Indiegogo campaign. Now, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to re... I'm going to twist that jinx on its head here. Okay. If you don't hit the goal of $25,000, because yep. I, I think that is the, that's the flexi goal at the moment, $25,000. Um, will that affect anything for you, or will it still go ahead as planned, or...? It's going to go ahead as planned. It's going to go ahead regardless um i mean even if we hit the goal we'll go into in demand and we're going to continue to try raising funds if you read the campaign like the ultimate goal would be to get more like 60k out of mm -hmm. out of the crowdfunding campaign and um as uh once the campaign's over and we're in in demand we'll, we'll keep trying to raise funds through through the campaign uh, you know the way in demand works right it's it's still yeah. open for, essentially indefinitely as long as you keep getting some level of of contributions each month um but we'll, we'll also look for other private sources of money um to just to get us where where we want to be it's i know it sounds a little crazy we're talking about a five minute movie and you're we're just saying that this is at 25k and we also have private money and money from movie maker <laughs> we're like how, how much are you guys spending on this it's it is it, we're spending quite a bit on it um but it's because we want the, the the main point of it is we're trying to establish this visual language that we're then going to 
put into expand into a feature world. So mm-hmm. there's no point in in doing it for less than the best it could be, you know? Yeah. Like there is a there's even a $10,000 version of this movie if you wanted to, but that's not going to sell what it's supposed to look like on a feature level. So we mm-hmm. need this to look like what it's supposed to look like on a feature level or there's no point in doing it at all because that's the point of this short. Um so so yeah, it's it'll be an expensive five minutes. Yeah, but if it's gonna look good, you know that's and that's you know one of, one of the reasons we were we needed extra money to do a crowdfunding campaign. Also, is once you start bringing in people like Jeremy Benning, like obviously, dude coming off of uh, Cabinet of Curiosities that you know he was nominated for an American Cinematographer Society Award for. You're not paying him what you pay and his crew also what what <laughs> you were gonna what you're gonna pay you know your friend cinematographer or even even people that i would have potentially brought in from 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 music videos it's it's it's, it's still a different world right yeah yeah um, totally different ball game totally different ball game yeah a show, um, a show like that uh, the world that jeremy's coming from is like the the top essentially in yeah. terms of um production value yeah and you get what you pay for as well you know you yeah get the best and uh so um so yeah so what um so 92 percent did you just say that 92 yeah, that's right, right now awesome that is fantastic so for people who want to get involved uh what uh what is on offer on the indiegogo campaign like what what would you recommend what is available uh what would i recommend recommend everything <laughs> executive producer credit for five thousand dollars that's that my recommendation to all listeners. Um, <laughs> no, uh, we yeah, we have various credits, you know, starting from a special thank you credit for 100, and then there's an associate producer. Um, those might be sold out. Uh, yes, I think they are. Okay. Um, there were associate producer credits for 250. There is co-producer, producer, and executive producer. The executive producer credit is the only thing we haven't sold any of. I'm not shocked. It's five thousand dollars, but oh. uh, <laughs> but the producer credit for twenty five hundred we have sold. Um, the, no, they're not sold out, so you can still get one. But uh, but we have sold. Um, you can get uh, any of the credit uh, perks come with a digital package, which is um, a digital screener of the film, um, digital version of the score, PDF of the script comes with a crew T-shirt. Um, and a print of the poster. Oh, our poster, our poster was uh, designed by Creepy Duck, who awesome. is the best horror poster person in the game. If you're aware of him, yes, I, I am very much aware. Yes, yeah. yeah, he did. You know, Barbarian, Mandy, Terrifier Two, Smile, last two Scream movies, the Hellraiser reboot, um, more. Yeah. <laughs> Bath bomb. He did bath bomb. Bath bomb. Yes. Yeah. It's very. It's very eye catching. And uh, yeah. yeah, it is very 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 eye catching. He's also incredible to work with. If anybody's looking for a poster, uh, he's great. Responds immediately to emails. There's no, you know, argument over uh, when you have notes and. Uh, Oftentimes, if I had a note about something that was like really nitpicky, instead, not only would he respond within a few hours to the email, but the note he'd already be, have made the change. 
um, you know, he'd already have the new draft, which is perfect. That's that's awesome. Uh, I like a lot of his work. It's it's very um, VHS classic VHS cover. That that kind of is the the vibe I always get with his work, and it's just in horror. And I say this so many times on the podcast: the the poster gets the people through the door. Like I'm not saying this is going to be the case for Bath Bomb at all, but I've (laughs) seen it in the past where you know, even if the movie is is not really that great. The poster gets people through the door because it's an awesome poster. It's an awesome yeah. poster. And I'm sure that won't be the case with Bath Bomb, but uh, <laughs> that is, uh, in horror, that happens so much. It, it... <laughs> yeah. Uh, more than you would think. Um, so in terms of Bath Bomb, what can people expect? Well, I think we've kind of touched on it, you know, with the, the Jalo and the aspects and stuff like that. So what, uh, it's only five minutes, but what can people expect when they go into this? What kind of, what will, what will you have in store? Um, well, kind of like that last bit of the, the summary, there's, um, there's violence. It, the violence happens suddenly and is very violent. <laughs> and, um, the, there's man flesh. Definitely. Mm-hmm. There's naked dude going on. Uh, there is humor. Um, and it's campy, but it's not enough to make you cringe i mean unless Mm -hmm. you just have a zero tolerance for camp (laughs) and um it's going to be shot beautifully it's going to have a it's it's modern day it's not a period piece but it has there's going to be a retro vibe to it we're bringing back a lot of um set pieces that you would expect to see in jala like there's there's Mm -hmm. a reel to reel player that's what the music is playing on um we're doing with the score. We're doing uh, something that was common in in Giallo is that the score is playing on a diegetic source, like in the in the room. There's, oh yeah. You see when the scene starts, he somebody presses play on the reel to reel, and that's how the music plays. But then as the the scene goes on, the music changes to to match the emotional tone of the scene, which obviously makes no sense if it's playing on the thing. But that they used to do that in Giallo, and it was very weird. Uh, so we're doing that as well. And, um, yeah, like fun, uh, wealth thought out, um, the cameras, everything was really not over choreographed, mm-hmm. maybe over choreographed, but very choreographed in Giallo. So yeah, uh, there's no shots that are kind of like just standard coverage. Everything is, is, um, you know, like long zooms and, uh, snap inserts to think like really claustrophobic snap mm-hmm. inserts to things and um we're gonna do some uh split diopter stuff i don't know if you're familiar but with the you know if you say if you had two one person standing at the end of the room and one person standing right in the front mm-hmm. of the camera you use a split diopter in your lens so that both are in focus but oh, there's okay. like a cool. third uh gradient between them where the where the glass is split um yeah so just fun yeah that's awesome, yeah. and um, I kind of want this to be longer than five minutes, just the way you talk about it. But this sounds this sounds brilliant. So, well, uh, if it goes well and we get to make the feature, then yeah, yeah, it'll yeah. be longer than five minutes. You'll get to, if it goes as well as we're hoped. We have three features planned. Oh, excellent! So you'll get to see three features with the same shooting style 
and progressively more bizarre stories. Yeah. And so I was going to ask, actually, is this... Um, so obviously you said there the plan is to make this into a feature. Is is Bath Bomb going to be the kind of the... Uh, the the catalyst of a feature is like this just like a small essentially a scene within the feature uh, itself have you seen the mortuary collection yes yes yeah so yeah. I, ryan spindle sure. uh i met him on the festival circuit the guy directed and wrote those um you know that's unlike a lot of anthologies he did all of them mm -hmm. uh, and the frame narrative so the, the plan for this is we're kind of doing the what he did where he made the the babysitter murders first and then, you know, that went around to festivals and then mm -hmm. made the Mortuary Collection with the Babysitter Murders as one of the shorts in the anthology. Mm -hmm. So we want to do a Giallo anthology and Bath Bomb would be one of the, the shorts in, in the anthology. Nice. Nice. It Very helps funny. because then you're going to festivals with like, this is what, you know. It's like you're going to festivals with a trailer in a way for the feature that you're trying to get money for. Because you're like, this is the style that it's going to be. We can already pull it off. Here it is. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. You mentioned as well, this is just this is just something that just kind of came to my head there a little bit. In terms of uh, what's on show in the film, are we going full frontal, man flesh, full frontal on screen? <laughs> um, yes and no. I can't okay. really say why yes and no. Okay. Because that's always something that I always I, I always think about when I'm watching a, a slasher film or anything. The, not that I'm complaining. Not that I'm complaining at all, because you know, I am I am a heterosexual male, so I enjoy <laughs> naked ladies, of course. But there is a very severe lack of naked men as well in I feel in, in horror films. It's very true. You know, it's just kind of like uh us kind of heterosexual males get the the better deal of it because we always see a naked woman in a film but there's hardly any naked men and i don't know why that is i think i've only seen like two penises in a film two or three like <laughs> on screen it's uh it's hardly yeah, the other thing too is yeah you know there's like um there's a lot there's a long history of violence being inflicted on a nude female body in horror mm -hmm. and uh somebody's got a catch up with violence inflicted on a nude male body totally, totally. We're, we're here to help start that nice now i always said i actually also i actually said i met uh, D uh damien leone at a convention in uh manchester obviously terror the guy who did the terrifier films and there's the the very well-known scene the of uh, the <laughs> scene in the original film and i said there's one way to up that scene and he's oh how it's like Make that a man in Terrifier Three, because that <laughs> yeah. would oh, that would make so many people wince. Like you know, oh, it's bad sure. enough when it's a woman, but if you had a man naked upside down with a with a rusty saw going down there, geez, oh, yeah. like that would that happened in the, the hell's it called? There's a Western movie. Um, it's not even a horror, but it has horror qualities. They they come across that. Um, what the hell is, is it bone tomahawk yeah bone tomahawk yeah. i saw a dude in half the same way yeah it's Damn. a great scene yeah. <laughs> um now i wanted to i did want to ask you just just a little bit off topic um well actually before i get onto this question what i wanted to ask was um 
about kind of the gore in the film, because while we're talking about Bath Bomb, we'll still stick on to this for a second. But in terms of the gore in the film, what can people expect from from that kind of aspect of it? Because I think it's five minutes, but there's only two characters. So uh, presumably one of them is going to have a lot of bad shit happen to them. Uh, so so the, the final, the f- actually, there's two. There are two images that you haven't seen before that'll be in the movie in terms of gore. Um, one of which is the final image that we we think will really stick in people's, but I can't say anything about it. Oh, okay, that's fine. That's totally cool. That's totally well. That's exciting for me, anyway. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to seeing whatever that is. So, <laughs> um, but what I did want to ask, actually, you know, this is a this is a queer Jalo film, and I just wanted to ask you about queer representation in in films today and TV shows today. Um, and obviously, we have we've come a long way. <laughs> kind of you know as a society um whilst also not coming anywhere as well we're kind of at a red light but it feels like we're getting somewhere so how do you feel about that in terms of you know queer representation in movies and in tv shows today do you think we're on the right track or how do you feel you know as a queer male that that is today it's it's hard to 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 to, to judge of in terms of like are we on the right track because defining we gets tough it's when 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 you try to think we as inclusive of all of society that's like i don't know that's a <clears throat> that's hard mm-hmm. i on another podcast recently was talking about um the last of us and um I do think that on the creative side of things, there seems to be a lot of creative people who are um, happy to include and are including more queer stories um, in in projects and have gone beyond the stage of having queer characters where their whole existence in the project is just about the fact that they're queer. Because mm-hmm. I don't consider that progress. That's just... You know, yeah. If if that's because the the point of inclusion, whether you're talking about a queer person, a black person, a trans person, a elderly person, is it sh- should be just that they're a character like any other character, a person with with disabilities as well. It should they should mm-hmm. real inclusion is you're not putting them in a film to talk about what makes them different from everybody else. Yeah, <laughs> and um. There are. It seems that there are people who who are are interested in in doing that, but um, the the response from the general public still seems to be stupid. Like mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. what I was talking about on the previous podcast was how the um, uh, what's his face. Parks and Rec. <laughs> um, oh yeah, I know you. Um, I, I don't actually know the actor's name, but uh, he played Bill in The Last of Us. Yeah, the Bill episode of of the, the the Last of Us. Everybody seemed to think was like the best episode of that series, myself mm-hmm. included. And then uh, Nick Offerman—that's his name. And that's then cool. uh, on on ratings sites. I still haven't checked to see if this is still the case, but when the show was still in the midst of airing, that episode was the lowest rated episode on 
rating sites because anti-queer people ratings bombed it. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I feel like trying to say, where are, are we on the right track? It doesn't seem like there's a we to talk about mm-hmm. because it seems like the people making content are on the right track, but the people consuming content are a different we and yeah. they're maybe not ready. I'm not saying every, nobody in the world is supporting these stories because obviously a lot of people love that and it wouldn't have been made if there wasn't an audience for it. But there's a pretty powerful element of people who don't want their content all gate up, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And I, I mean, I don't also, I don't want to, I don't want to be like complaining or get negative. This campaign that we've been doing starting on day two of the campaign, we've got daily uh, DMS on our Instagram account and comments on various platforms that are, homophobic and anti-queer and you know we've i've just been deleting them i think some of them are still up because some of them are harder to delete like sometimes on twitter they just like gray it out and you can't actually delete it um but yeah everything from like uh you know horror doesn't need to be gay and first of all (laughs) queer is not necessarily the same thing as gay there's a whole yeah. <laughs> umbrella of things that is queer that is not necessarily gay but and when you say something like that it reveals how well how well you know yeah, yeah. what 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 uh the que- queer community is um every everything from that to, to like you know just straight up ignorant stupid shit like one person dm'd us on our bathroom Instagram account that they they hope we die. <laughs> like, what the fuck is wrong with people? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you right now. I'll look because I'll be putting this on my Insta. Like, and you know, I, although I've been pretty quiet on the Instagram, I'll be honest. The last few weeks, but I'll be putting this on the Instagram. I'll look forward to getting those messages. Oh, you know, why are you supporting this and all this kind of shit? <sighs> what? is wrong with people like why does that matter why does that offend you and the problem is you can't have a discussion like that with people like that they're just completely ignorant they're completely tone deaf to you know and as you say whilst there's people like that but they i always try and think that that is a small i try and think that that is a small representation of society it's and unfortunately these ignorant people tend to be the loudest and that's that's the annoying thing yeah but i mean <clears throat> i i mean you don't live in in the states uh i mm-hmm. mean i don't live in the states either i live in in canada but i spend a lot of time in the states and i grew up in the states <coughs> and it's not as small like it's a powerful voice in the states i don't know how much you follow american news but there's a lot of there's a an anti-queer movement in the states that's growing in strength in terms you know yeah. there's the anti-drag movement and anti-trans yeah. rights movement um, and now like the don't say gay thing that's that's, you know, there's don't say gay legislation being passed in, in some states in, in the United States right now. And um, yeah, it's 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 pretty it's pretty crazy. I was going to yeah. backtrack for a second, though, to say like these people are just like ignorant. Or I've actually this campaign has been interesting just because I've gotten that's what I've always assumed, too. But there's some people who have actual like arguments for why they don't think we should make this. Although I will say, if you're going to take the time to DM 
a, an account for a short film, like a paragraph, like several paragraphs of something, maybe even if it does sound like a thought out argument, you're still probably got some, some, something loose. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, you know, people have made arguments in our, in our DMs about um, one of the, the hallmarks of, of Giallo is like naked women. And that, you know, if you change that, that's not Giallo anymore. Mm. And I, I get how they think that's logic, but in reality, that's just because they're only thinking of things in like a heterosexual versus anything else world. Mm-hmm. In reality, if you take a step back, it's the hallmark is nudity. Yeah. yeah. Not naked women. It's just, it's nudity is, is really the, the point of that element is, 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 is a sexual point. But if you're not thinking of an audience that's just straight people, then nothing about the structure of that necessitates it to be a woman. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I not I didn't I didn't respond with that. By the way, I no, no. deleted the, the DM, <laughs> blocked the person, and moved on with my life. But um, yeah, I it's, think it's, it's, it's interesting it's, that some of these people think that they have like arguments for why. Yeah. A queer yeah. giallo should not exist. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and it, it is it, it is beyond belief. And unfortunately, as you say, that Donald. I'm not going to get try and get too political here, but Donald Trump has a lot to answer for for all this kind of nonsense that's going on in America at the moment. The social divide. It is. I suppose it's always been there, but unfortunately, he seems to have made people think it's okay to like air these views as if it's a as if you're saying oh do you like chocolate ice cream or strawberry ice cream let's have a discussion about that it's like no you're you're being homophobic and that's not good that's not how society should be even if you have those thoughts and it's 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 beyond belief and touching on it there um you know they say about you know how it shouldn't be there was the light year film that bombed uh, the Disney Lightyear film because there was a lesbian character in that film. It's a kids' film, and like, oh, kids shouldn't be seeing this. And it's like, but that's a true representation of the world. Like, yeah. if you don't show them, there's that, no difference between kids seeing a gay relationship and a straight relationship. Exactly. Exactly. There's, it, it, there's it, sex it, involved in both, and that's the only part that's not, you know kid friendly it's yeah and they definitely don't show that in <laughs> in the film so, yeah i'm guessing there's no <laughs> lesbian sex scene in that movie no and uh it, it like it, it's something that really affects me i have a lot of i have a lot of gay friends and you know it's it's uh it's something that really pisses me off when i see uh some of the shit that you read and uh, as you say a lot of it was brought to the attention from the uh, the bill and frank episode of the last of us which was an absolute yeah. masterpiece i was in tears at the end of that episode yeah. and the, um, the other one too where they show ellie's past um yeah where... that was yeah exactly <laughs> in the but mall, the thing yeah. is that was in the game both parts of that i mean fair enough the bill and frank episode was extended we only saw bill we saw bill in a slightly different light in the game but he was still gay we we knew he was gay in the game it's it's openly referenced and uh, the last of us is a dlc where pretty much played out play by play as they showed it so people shouldn't be going into this uh, thinking oh my god they what agenda are they throwing at us here it's like no this is this was this was in the game that came out 10 years ago that they are that's yeah. their source material it it oh. <laughs> 
<laughs> that was that was another that was another comment we talked. You just used the term agenda. That was another uh, comment that we got on Instagram. Was that um, uh, something along the lines of like, and here I thought um, indie horror was one thing that the gay agenda wouldn't ruin. <laughs> What agenda? What? I wanted to keep that one up just to see other people interact with. But then I was like, because that one was a comment, not a DM. But then I was like, no, because the flip side of that is other people who agree with him might. Yeah, there is that, that as well. So yeah, there is that. I was just, it's absolutely insane. It's absolutely insane. So it's a, one of those where, you know, we're coming. We I, I did feel like five years ago, six years ago, we were getting to a point in society where we felt like we were moving forward and um, everything was just kind of becoming more, um, I don't want to use the word tolerant because there's nothing to tolerate, but you know, in terms of like just living our lives, how people want to live their lives, whether, you know, whatever, you know, their kind of sexual orientation or anything, just letting people live their lives how they want to. And in this past four or five years, it just seems to have gone decades the other way, which is so frustrating. I think that, I think, you know, I think it swings back and forth a lot. And it's just that our, each of us has a a lifespan that's only catching a chunk of each of those swings, right? So sometimes you feel like, yeah, everything's going to be great now. I'm sure there's some people who like on their deathbed, it was when things were swinging in the right direction. Yeah. The world's going to be okay. And then, yeah. and then I leaving this world a better place. Yeah. <laughs> they, they didn't see that like a few years later, it just swung right back. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. is very true. But, you know, kind of what I don't understand as well, and uh, we're kind of going a bit off topic here, but t- um, one of my favorite characters in any film ever made is tim curry in the rocky horror picture show which came out in the 1970s yeah. and uh the thing was the 70s and uh you, you know that was and that today you the people who who like they probably comment on uh your posts or send hateful messages i bet anybody at their party they're doing the time warp <laughs> And, and I don't know. I, I guarantee they're the people that are so hardcore in their no queerness thing that they don't allow Rocky Horror references yeah. probably in their life. Yeah, it's probably yeah. just like Toby Keith or Go Home kind of thing in their house. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, we've got we've got completely off top of there. I've got I've got my frustration out. But yeah, it's, it's very interesting to talk about, and we could probably talk about that for hours, really, in, ter- in terms of. And not solve anything. <laughs> and still not solve anything. Exactly. <laughs> and still not solve anything. And uh, that's the thing. So um, so anyway, just to... I've uh, got a couple more questions and we'll wrap up because, uh, yeah, we've gone really, really good amount of time there. We've got an hour and 22 minutes already. So a couple more questions and we'll wrap up, Colin. Um, when do you anticipate the movie, uh, the, 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 movie the short, being released? Because um, obviously I don't think it's started filming yet. So yep. when when do you think this will all be ready for everyone to see? Yeah, the aim is to film second weekend of June, and um, our target for completion is to be ready in time to submit to um, Citrus, which is uh, deadline is July 17th. Um, So then, like, fall festival circuit, 
like genre festival circuit is is the aim. Awesome. And uh, do you have a cast lined up and everything? Is that because uh, you've got your crew? Do you have a cast? Or? We do not. Um, hopefully going to start the ball rolling and casting this coming week. Um, we had some leads originally that we pursued that didn't work out for, for one reason or another. Um, just difficulty of approaching more known actors when you have a project that is not... Uh, financially um can't can't compete financially with Mm -hmm. with a project that is you know weeks or months of work uh so yeah we we had some some folks that we were pushing for that that took longer contracts that were given to them so uh so now we have to we're gonna have to do like a real Mm. like through a casting director like an actual casting process okay cool very good very good so and uh so yeah, and uh, when where one thing I want to know is where will people see? Because you're not offering a uh, like a DVD or a Blu-ray or anything like that for this, because it's just a short. Um, on the Indiegogo, there's a digital download that you can get. So will this be available anywhere else? Um, in terms of like, will it so only be those backers we'll, or? We'll we'll do the anybody who has a a credit, um, or who has purchased the the digital uh, bath uh, package they will get a digital screener of it when it's, when our initial festival run is, is finished. Mm-hmm. Um, potentially earlier, we, we're just navigating the, the whole like rights um, rules because mm-hmm. you can be, you can dequalify yourself from festivals. If, if uh, your project gets out there, um, it's really just a matter of like, will a backer, take the digital copy that we give them find mm. a way to pull the rights blocking off of it and then put it on the internet which uh, i don't think people are going to do that but it we're probably not going to give the digital screeners to people until after the initial festival run just in case mm-hmm. will it be going on youtube or anything like that afterwards or just be just be the digital most likely yeah, most likely not because of the fact that we want it to become part of this the first feature, um, the anthology feature, because that would mm-hmm. no you wouldn't no one would let us do that <laughs> if it was part of the feature was already available online. So um, uh, yeah, we'll we'll probably um, the other than backers of the campaign, the rest of the world will see it either at festivals or when it's part of a feature in a couple in a couple of years awesome well that actually is a great incentive to people out there to back it because if you back it you get to see the movie if you don't back it or the, the short i keep saying i keep saying movie i just keep saying that but uh, the short the short movie um if you don't back it you're going to be waiting years so potentially uh to see it so yeah absolutely everyone get out there i suppose we're going to put the links in the show notes as well uh on youtube and i'll also put the link in the show notes on the podcast so anyone watching and listening to this uh check out the link below and also uh fingers crossed touching the wood again uh that if we do reach the demand even if you are listening to this kind of in a week or two's time the campaign will hopefully touch wood again still be live still be open in demand so you can contribute afterwards but to guarantee it do it before 
3 a.m. Eastern on on Saturday. So uh, that's awesome. Now, uh, Colin, so last question. Uh, what is next for you after Bath Bomb? Kind of what is your plans? Is it just straight into this anthology or do you have anything else lined up? <clears throat> that would be that would be the the dream straight into the anthology but yeah. i also need to pay my rent and eat food so um i still work in television um i just finished editing a series and um will probably seek further editorial work editing is less of a uh when i'm working on my own projects on the side like this i can't really i don't have the creative bandwidth to also be directing other stuff but editing i can um so yeah probably be looking for some other editing contracts awesome awesome and uh, is that just like your your gig you just freelance editing and yeah man yeah that is awesome (laughs) i would love that uh sense of freedom i'm locked down to the old nine to five and uh (laughs) That's why I do gigs and uh, promote stuff to kind of give myself a bit of, uh, and this podcast to kind of give myself a bit of, uh, you know, freedom outside of the old ball and chain that is nine to five. So that is that is very cool. Um, where can people find you, Colin, in terms of social media and stuff? Uh, where where can people me. keep keep I on keep tabs on you? <laughs> um, we'll keep tabs on you. <laughs> I I have a website that is just colingcooper.com. Uh, Colin G. Cooper, all one word. Uh, and I am on Instagram at Colin G. Cooper, all one word. And that is the only social media I use. I have a Facebook and a Twitter, but I don't use them. So if you follow me, you will not get anything in return. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Colin, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. We've got an yeah, hour and a great. half there. And uh, it's been awesome to chat with you and uh, talk all things Bath Bombing tangents and everything in between so um yeah thank you so much for coming on the show thank you and i really hope bath bomb is a massive 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 success which i I think it will be to be honest with you thank you perfect awesome my eyes are deceiving me what you see is real what's done is done and what i've done is right the work of science.